Today's show is being brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, believers in good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. Today, we're talking about a dish that I love. And uh, it's one of those rare, really, really tasty, really good foods that you can eat a lot of and then feel good afterward rather than gross or bad. So, and it's, uh, you know, I have a, a long list of foods that, that do the exact opposite, but this one is, you know, getting more po- popularity. In fact, there's a new cookbook out just about it. It is called The Pho Cookbook. Easy to, uh, easy to adventurous recipes for Vietnam's favorite soup and noodles. It's by Andrea Nguyen. She's on the line right now. How are you, Andrea? I'm great, Kathy. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I think you were last on this show a few years ago for Asian tofu. I think so. One of, you know, my favorite food groups. Yes. <laughs> you are a veteran cookbook writer. Your first book was Into the Vietnamese Kitchen. You've written about dumplings, banh mi, and um, now pho. So congratulations. I'm really excited about this book. Um, I hear that pho is sort of like the new ramen, right? Well, you know, it's like you and I both know, that, and many other people know this, there are a lot of noodle soups out there yeah. um, that Asian people enjoy. Right, and, right. you know, a lot of people think, well, ramen's like the go-to Asian noodle soup, but um, mm-hmm. they're thinking more about pho these days. And I hope that uh, a lot of people can fit both ramen and pho into their lives because they're, they're different soups. You know, I, I think that reading about this um, in your book, I didn't realize just how rich and fascinating just talking about one single, and it's actually a family of uh, dishes because as you explained, pho can refer to the noodle itself, the rice noodle, as well as the noodle soup that we know of. Um, But there's so many fascinating and political um, uh, stories about, first of all, it's creation, then it's adoption, and then it's appreciation all throughout. And um, I was just sort of joking about pho being the new ramen because um, you responded very thoughtfully um, and articulately to an article that created a controversy that was called Pho is the New Ramen or something um, on bonappetit.com. So. I, I did. And, you know, it's like I don't understand why <laughs> people only need, can only fit one Asian noodle soup into their lives at a time. <laughs> yeah. Or into the public, you know, fad of foods or, right, uh, or something. Right, because, you know, these are dishes that are have not been fads for, you know, men, a billion people over the ages. <laughs> More than a billion, several billion probably, if you count, like, you know, uh, over time. Yeah. And, um, and yet, you know, when we talk about Asian food, people do tend to think of it in terms of, of being, you know, new and It's on my radar now. Trending. Yeah. But for the people that, you know, for that they've grown up with these 
these dishes like you and I have. You know, I think about the Taiwanese um, beef noodle soup that you have in your book. And then pho for me and ramen for others. You know, it's like that's not trendy. That's what we grew up with. And we love those things and we have profound connections to them. So to, you know, to reduce um, a a food that, that is Frankly, for pho, it's the national food of Vietnam. Yeah. So to re- to reduce uh, the national food of a country to like, hey, everybody, go running to pho. It just seems like 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 wow. that article could have gone a little bit deeper. And um, I, I think that that food is not just fashion. Food is sustenance, and food is story to a lot of people right. on this planet. Absolutely, and we we expect more more thoughtfulness um, when it comes to writing and uh, you know having media about Asian food. So I, I really appreciate your response to that. Um, also, I was really excited to you know read throughout this book uh, about all the many controversies and arguments and um, you know that pho has inspired throughout the ages. Uh, there is you know first of all there's a there's a you were you were noting in the beginning when you had um, pho as a college student, um, it was smattered with all these bean sprouts and stuff, and how that's more of like a southern or Saigon style preparation, whereas in the north it's more simple, and they are like, oh, it's you know it should be more pure and just sort of um, you know it's all about the subtleness of the broth. So there's like this regional uh, spar <laughs> over how to make pho or serve it, perhaps, and then. Um, you know, there's controversies about its origin. Some people think that, and I've heard this myth before, that it is named for pot-au-feu or derived somehow from the French dish of that origin. Yeah, you know, the thing is that, like, pho came about as a collision of circumstances around the turn of, of like, the, you know, from going from the 19th to the 20th century. So, right. you know, around the early 1900s. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the French were the people in charge of Vietnam at that time. Yep. And um, in the northern part of the country, in and around Hanoi, they started slaughtering a lot of cows. And so, you know, pho came about because there were these scraps that the French Bones. didn't want. And mm-hmm. so, like, these street vendors started cooking them up. So then people think, oh, gosh, you know, the word pho kind of sounds like, sounds like the pho. word fire. So right. while the French were there, then the, the Vietnamese must <laughs> yeah. have been thinking of poto pho. And it's like, no, well. the, <laughs> a lot of the cooks at that time were of Chinese origin, is my understanding. Mm. And um, so tracing back to um, what how pho was identified, um, I actually found like a uh, a woodblock print mm-hmm. of a pho vendor, um, and the woodblock print was was um, produced around 1908-1909. And the Chinese characters used to identify that pho vendor had um, the Chinese character for fun, mm-hmm. so for flat rice noodle. And so, like around 1930, there was like this this dictionary entry for pho and explaining it as being derived and being related to Chinese flat rice noodles. Mm-hmm. So somehow, fun turned into pho. Mm-hmm. It, it like if if it was related to fire, then <laughs> the then fire Yikes. would have figured into pho's you know name somehow, at least in the Chinese characters. Because yeah. back then. Official Vietnamese is written in Chinese characters, not in the Romanized form that we see today. So, you know, it's like this weird, it's like this collision of of cultural circumstances, as what I say. You know, cultures rubbing shoulders. Of course. And so, you know, the French don't own pho, the Chinese don't own pho, the Vietnamese own it. 
Right. It is unique to this land and the times and, uh, you know, nowhere else has it you know, exactly. Existed. Exactly. And as you pointed out, within yeah. Vietnam itself, we have regional foe fights. Mm. <laughs> so, from between the Northerners and the Southerners, you know, there's like this thing of whose foe is more pure and whose, yeah. Fo- whose yeah, foe exactly. is more fun. I thought that was <laughs> whose foe is more fun. Um, yeah. First of all, I like how you have a helpful, like, little how to pronounce, and I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. Um, is this, no, you is did. This a, I did. Fa. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, Fa, you did and, that. And the key, excellent. I love that. The key is like the question, you know, and it's in the tone. Is It's sort of like a, a asking a question. So I'll try. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you were sounding like a good native speaker right there, Kathy. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Um, yeah, no, something irks me about wanting to apply some other cuisine, you know, that, that sort of eagerness to say, oh, maybe it was the French. Um, maybe people are familiar or all too familiar with um, the circumstances around uh, ban me and, you know, that's being a, something, um, you know, from the French influence because there's a bread, you know, a baguette uh, used. I don't know. What do you think? There's something really strange about that. Um, there conclusion. is, you know, and we want to to um, define for unfamiliar foreign yes. things yeah, in maybe. terms of things that we understand. Like put it into a compartment that we, yeah, yeah, can that we can grasp. wrap our head around. Right. And so with Ban Mi, it's like, oh, it's a baguette sandwich, which is what I called it. You know, when I first started writing about Vietnamese food um, and into the Vietnamese kitchen, it's called mm-hmm. the baguette sandwich. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that the baguette is just the shell, the framework, and inside the the kind of crazy combination of ingredients is wholly Vietnamese. Mm. And so Vietnam, to understand its history over the ages and its geography as being this very long country with like a, 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 the sea, the coastline is as long as the eastern seaboard of the United States. So you've got a lot of foreign ideas moving in and out. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Vietnam has had resources that people have preyed upon for thousands and thousands of years, mm-hmm. and so the Vietnamese are, are like cultural survivalists. They they you know take a look at what um, foreign ideas are introduced, and then they make the best of it. Mm-hmm. And so you know you get the banh mi sandwiches, and you get. Um, and, you know, and China's, like, right there. You know, it's like you can just, like, yeah, in certain parts of Vietnam, you just walk across the border and you're in, in China. Mm-hmm. And, and you've got all this trade going on. And you've got the French there, you know, and, and if you trace back long enough, you'll see that, that the Portuguese were there. There were times that the, the uh, Japanese and Indian traders were there also. And so, you know, it's like this amalgam of cultures, mm-hmm. and it's difficult to define. Absolutely. But uh, you do a really amazing job of tracing the origins, the history, the innovations, and the different region, regional specialties or uh, takes on it um, throughout this book. It really felt like reading like a definitive Bible or uh, historical study of, of Fa. So, well, thank I, you. You know, it was, um, I frankly initially didn't think that I could write a book about pho right. because but. I thought that, you know, I, I have two recipes mm-hmm. um, that I wrote up, the chicken and the beef, and that was it. But then when I dove deeper, I realized that there was all of this, you know, emotion and protest and yeah. art related to pho and that pho embodied modern Vietnamese history from Which was a tumultuous century. Between. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
And also, I love that you note that it is always uh, ever-expanding and evolving. So the cuisine right now, some of the youngsters you write are, are eating pho that is deep-fried and um, you know, so forth and inventing. And it's like a sort of living, breathing um, you know, cuisine of itself, uh, which is pho. And it's happening. So it's exciting to see those, um, those changes going on underfoot. Exactly. And, you know, that's happening in Vietnam. It's also happening in America. In New York, there's somebody making pho soup dumplings. In L.A., there's a guy making a pho burrito. I've had pho bun mi sandwiches. You know, and in Vietnam, they've got pho noodle rolls, and as you mentioned, a deep-fried pho. And it's just all, it works when all of the essence, the spirit of pho is in the dish. Sometimes yeah. things don't quite work, i got to tell you. And so, you know, and it's kind of like at that point, I'm like, that's Wait. not pho. Wait. That's just a dish with some rice noodles in it. <laughs> what about vegetarian pho? Is there, is there a good one? Yes. Well, you know, a lot of people have said to me when I was writing the book, oh, my gosh, vegan or vegetarian pho is, like, no bueno. It should not exist. Mm. And I was like, we have an entire, like, set, you know, population of Buddhists in mm-hmm. Vietnam. Sure. And they they deserve they, pho, they too. Soup? Yeah. <laughs> 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 and there's seafood pho, which a lot of people don't think of. Um, no, they don't. Um, and, um, you know, the first time I had it, I, I write about it in the book as it was just like fish that had been poached in mm. um, beef pho broth, which was just so <laughs> disgusting to me. The thought of if you were a pescatarian and you didn't know and you ordered that, that stuff, or like lobster pho, yeah. which is the same way. But I realized that seafood and pho spices go together. Mm-hmm. And so I built a recipe that is 100% like seafood oriented, and it's just absolutely it delicious. really great and um there's you know there's several noodle dishes that are stir-fried um rice noodles um so what would is there like another word for these or just right well, you know, they're like pho? um they were in in the vietnamese repertoire you'd consider them to be like dry noodle dishes mm-hmm. okay Got yeah, it. so like the wet ones would have, the wet noodle dishes would, <laughs> not the wet ones, but the wet noodle dishes would have broth with them. <laughs> but the dry noodle dishes um, would be stir-fried or pan-fried or deep-fried, mm. and they may be sauced, you know, with some a stir-fry, you know, and some gravy kind of thing on top of, of the noodles, or they may just be like chow fun kind of stir-fried noodles. But the the... But categorically, in the Vietnamese mindset and on the menu, you would see them as pho, like mm. stir-fried pho, yeah. pan-fried pho, deep-fried pho. Like the noodles. Mm-hmm. Because they're, it's referring to the noodle. Mm. There is such a world of pho noodles that I didn't realize when I before I picked up this book, and they all look so good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we need to cut to a quick little commercial break, and we'll be right back chatting more with you. Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. When you mill whole grains, you get all three parts of the seed. You get the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. 
the germ is only about 2.5% of the kernel. It's actually the sprouting section of the seed, what's gonna grow into a plant. It's usually separated during milling process because it contains most of the fat and therefore has a shorter shelf life. So what you wanna do once you buy whole grain flour is keep it kind of wrapped so that oxygen can't get to it so it doesn't go rancid. But the good news about having that fat is that it has a lot of flavor. If you want, you can actually buy the wheat germ, for instance, and add it back to flours. But if you buy Bob's Red Mill product, it already has the germ in it, so you don't have to. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words. We're chatting today with Andrea Nguyen about pho. But first, a quick little message or plug about an upcoming event. Um, So if you're a member of Heritage Radio Network, and we hope you are, uh, we are indebted to you for not only supporting the production, um, but we are giving you some perks in addition. So all current members are invited to a new monthly happy hour series called Books and Brews. Join us April 12th at Three's Brewing at Franklin and Kenton Greenpoint, where your host of Eat Your Words, yours truly, and my latest book, The Food of Taiwan, uh, will be there. And uh, you can snag a signed copy of The Food of Taiwan, enjoy some beer from fellow hosts at Heritage Heritage Radio Network. So uh, check out heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to get your exclusive invite today. And on to the FUP cookbook. We've been chatting with Andrea Nguyen. Are you still there, Andrea? I sure am. Thanks so much. So I wanted to mention something, actually, because as a food writer, podcaster, and so forth, um, these are actually very tumultuous political times that we're dealing with right now. And I sometimes have a hard time uh, making heads and tails of it. Like, it seems weird to be talking about food sometimes. But I want to share that I was really touched by something you wrote. <laughs> and maybe, maybe this is personal. <laughs> you wrote it on Facebook. <laughs> Do you know what I'm going to say? You, are you scared? Well, I write a lot of things on Facebook. <laughs> okay, but, sometimes well, I sometimes regret and sometimes not. So put it out there. <laughs> okay. Well, you said something that your dad told you. You said your dad told you that in 100 years, nobody will care about Donald Trump or something. But people will remember your pho cookbook. And I think that that was so comforting to me to hear. And it's really yeah, nice. Yeah, you know, my father is 86 years old, and he, he has lived through a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. this, it, that was just like last week when we were visiting. And, um, you know, like a lot of Vietnamese Americans of his generation, he came to America, and um, even we like ended up settling in this little t- beach town where Richard Nixon ended up going to after he left the White House. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and my father has voted Republican for a very long time. Mm. But, you know, he has always been um, someone who has looked at politics in this country as being a place of opportunity yeah. for people. And even during, like, the the most difficult times for our family in terms of resettling, we always had food and culture as part of our identity and to help us feel really grounded. And so, you know, here he is, and and he's, as he's saying, you know, like an old car breaking down because he's getting older. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's like, very perceptive and yeah. retrospective in terms of, of how he sees things. Wildly and wise. he just suddenly yeah. that came out of his mouth. And I was like, <laughs> you know, you're absolutely true, right, because, you know, in the long term of things, what we are preoccupied with now 
may not really matter all that much, but there are certain things that will remain true, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's culture yeah. and flavors and and memories. And, you know, food helps us to develop those base points and benchmarks that we can really hold on to so that we have a sense of who we are and what's important to us as we move through, like, difficult times. Mm-hmm. And you can really feel like throughout each page, like how important fuzz is to you and your, um, you know, just everyday life. You write about how you'd first eaten it from um, street vendors or little small shops in in Vietnam. But then, you know, at home when you're in living in the United States, you would often make broth or your mother would make broth and then recreate pho because there wasn't too many restaurants at that time that you could go to. So it's something that, uh, you know, you, you found comforting. Um, cooking at home and recreating from those memories of, of Vietnam. And um, it, it's just a wonderful, generous ode throughout. And that, that's sort of like the jumping off point. But, um, you know, you've done amazing amounts of research that will not be forgotten. It'll, it'll stick around. This is like... Mm. Well, thank you very yeah. much. You know, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to have a publisher that write, that helps me or lets me write that what I want to write <laughs> right, and make right. books that I find to be very meaningful and, and long-lasting books. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was actually um, oh actually let's talk about <laughs> this characterization you mentioned of uh, that involves also an anecdote from your dad. Um, Interestingly, like, so pho is sort of seen as um, something you don't eat every day, whereas rice is something you do eat every day. So you're saying this, there's a sort of folksy understanding of pho as the mistress, and whereas <laughs> rice is the wife? <laughs> Correct. Can you explain and that? There's, um, so when, if, you, yeah. if you travel in Vietnam and, and you look around, there are these little um, joints, food joints, and mm-hmm. they'll have a sign out, and it'll say, um, in Vietnamese, rice and pho. Mm-hmm. So gum is rice and pho is pho. And so you'd always see these signs, and it's like, what's that all about? And then um, I started, like, poking online, and I realized that there were, like, it had the symbolism in terms of rice as being your dutiful wife that you can rely on, and pho is the mistress that you can slip away to. And and so, you know, I asked my parents about it, and they're like, well, of course. <laughs> And my dad, you know, he's standing there, he's wiggling his hips, and he's like, I'm pho. <laughs> and, and my mom's like, and and you cannot have Amazing. too much pho because yeah. you'll get bored with it. Oh, ooh. Yes. <laughs> well, is that also because you have to slip away to enjoy pho usually from a vendor? Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rather and so, than, um, mm-hmm. like, you would go, you know, you can go in the morning, mm-hmm. you can go late at night for a chaser. We oftentimes think in the United States that pho is a breakfast food, and it is enjoyed in the morning, and it's fabulous for breakfast, because mm-hmm. as you say, you eat a little bit of it, you feel good and not gross, mm-hmm. and, you know, you feel like you're ready to go forth with uh, with the day and then the humidity that's like what yeah. you get in Saigon. Um, <laughs> but you can also have pho midday. It's also a great chaser late at night. Mm, snack, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, it's a it's an everyday, um, all day long kind of food. Well, I, I think that it's, it's just a wonderful thing to expand on in your book. Uh, you even have pho pot stickers. Um, you know, so many ways to enjoy pho. And, you know, these things, you know, we 
you were just saying that you know pho is ch- typically eaten from a stand or a restaurant or a vendor, um, but it looks so fun and so easy to make at home. If you make a big pot of stock, then you can always just cook some noodles and have something ready to throw together. Um, yeah, exactly. And you can have, you know, the thing is that a lot of people, if you can boil water, you can make pho is what I tell people. <laughs> really, yeah, no because technique. it's just yeah. simmering stuff. You t- and then you have to, like, strain it. But then once you get it going, um, and home cooks can do this, it, it doesn't require, like, a long overnight simmer because, frankly, oh. you're not going to be opening a restaurant. You're just making, you know, say, um, four quarts of broth at the most. But you can also use a pressure cooker and make mm-hmm. pho in, like, an hour and a half. Um, and then you can also, like, make pho from, by doctoring up um, store-bought broth. Too. So mm. you can fit pho into your life, is okay. what I'm saying to people. Cool. So I have the spices to like some beef broth um, that are typically used and yep. then simmer in them. Ah, that's a good trick. Um, okay. I love how you have like also other like sort of quickie. So you have a real recipe and then you have like the, the you know slow cooker or like pressure cooker quick style recipe. There's also a rotisserie chicken recipe, which sounds super easy to do at home. Um, do you see that more more and more people are cooking pho at home? They are, and they're mm-hmm. very curious about it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what's, it's absolutely fascinating to me because I've been teaching cooking classes about pho for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And most of my people assume that I write for a Vietnamese audience, but I totally don't. Mm-hmm. And um, most of the people that come to me who are curious are not Vietnamese. They see this as like, this is an Asian noodle soup. They see it as like chicken noodle soup and they want to understand it and they want to make it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so um, it's so refreshing for me because I feel that pho has, has moved from the margins and is, is moving is right. more into the mainstream. Absolutely. And thank you so much for helping us bring or helping enlighten us to all the complexities and all the 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 fascinating history of pho and all the iterations of it um, from a really a really learned point of view. Uh, it, I think that's a great way to sort of explore it deeper. Um, so I guess anything else um, that you have in the works because you are quite a prolific cookbook writer and I'm always curious what you're going to do next so I don't know if you can share well I'm, I'm working on a new book but um, I'm also right now busy um, we I, I help edit a book about um, a an iconic uh, food writer and um, yes. by the name of Paula Wolfert and that, that just came exciting. out and we're very excited about it Congrats on that book. So it's unforgettable. And um, that's a fascinating story. It's so great that you guys got together. Um, You and Emily Thielen, um, photographers, Eric Wolfinger, I'm sure everyone saw the story in the New York Times about Paula's unforgettable life. Um, So that's so exciting. Yeah, it, just came yeah out. It, it is. And I, you know, so I'm lucky to be kept so busy these days mm-hmm. and getting to do work mm-hmm. that I love to do. Well, I'm so, so glad you could take the time out to speak with us today at Heritage. Um, that's about all the time we have for today, though. So I hope everyone checks out the pho cookbook. And thanks again, Andrea. Thank you, Kathy. All right. We'll see you next week on Heritage Radio Network.
you took it so slow. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.